Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to SEN Fridays in the Top End, 16-11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Robbie Hale is back in the studio, the guru. We missed him yep. last week. We were, we had him replaced and almost replaced permanently, I say. <laughs> That's how good Jacob Andre was, the fitness guru, last week. But now we have the footy guru. Robbie, how was your week? Yeah, very good, Clarky. I went down to Catherine, got an emergency. I had to go down there for work. and Yeah, it was pretty good down there. And I ran into um, Doug Kelly from the old oh. Wanderers days. And the first time meeting him, and yeah, he's a big man, Doug Kelly. And uh, it's good to meet him, though. So, it was, yeah. Yeah, so I'm compiling the history of the TIFA and TFA, and they were in the element, the early Catherine side. Obviously, they came into the NTFL uh, a few years after that. I think it was in the late 80s, and it wasn't overly successful for them, but they won the first ever TIFA Premiership back when it was the NTFA, so they were the Catherine Kangaroos, and Mm -hmm. Doug Kelly was one of the main men involved in all of that, and I think from what I gather going through the old news reports, he was a bit of a feisty character. (laughs) How was he? Was he fired up over anything last week? Oh, mate, definitely was. Um, He's an intimidating bloke. He's He's a bit bigger than me, and he probably would have you know, shrunk from his playing days. So you could tell that he would have been a pretty fierce opponent, opponent back in the uh, back in the old days. Hey, we don't have Raph in the studio, but we've got your 10-year-old son, Sebastian, and yeah. he's looking a little worse for wear. He's got the eyes puffed up. Mm-hmm. He sent me a photo of him yesterday with the blood coming down both nostrils. Yeah. Sounds pretty graphic. Sounds like I'm describing a horror movie here, but yeah. what happened to the young fella? Oh, he just went in for a tackle, um, and his other teammate went around the other side to tackle as well, and then they collided that way. So um, he was knocked out for a bit, uh, broken nose. Um, so he had to go to the hospital yesterday. Um, so we were there for a bit, um, which he was happy, though, because he was able to see some nurses. So that excited him. But, yeah, um, but yeah, it was an interesting under-12s carnival there, and the Sharkies... How are they looking? Yeah, they, look, they are probably looking all right. But, you know, they're playing the game on one-third ovals, and mm. when they go down south to Albury in August, they're going to be playing a full oval. Um, and they're also out on number two oval. But I think that's because the rugby league is going to be on number one next week. So... It wasn't the best setup on that oval. You've mentioned a few times too, like, do, the, do these kids have the best preparation playing these 48-minute mm. games compared to what some of these kids are doing down south? Um, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, they take their footy more seriously down south, but you could sort of put that argument in, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely. Like, we've been speaking about it, me, you know, myself and you, um, you Clarky, and we've been speaking about the disadvantages we have up here and where we need to fix it. And then on the week, not during the week, it definitely didn't give me any confidence <laughs> nah. seeing what was happening so the young fella is concussed it's very topical mm. at the moment uh, concussion we had Sydney yep. Roosters James Tedesco knocked out again last night they reckon it's his eighth documented concussion mm. uh, Kalen Ponga earlier in the season going through a few issues and then you have on the AFL side of thing all the lawsuits that are going on have you ever been concussed Rob? no I never have been I've gone back with the flight a few times but um, with courage once or twice yeah <laughs> once or twice and I only ended up hurting the other person that tough so but no, I've never been concussed, but hearing stories, you, you know, your concussion story yeah. that you mentioned, that you know, it is a quite significant thing. And when I coached, I made sure that if anyone had any sort of concussion issues, I would just, you know, take them off and they'd be done for the day. No, exactly right. So I am up to three known concussions. Yep. Uh, I got my first one 
round one of the Ovens and Murray season down south. I thought I could take on a tackle of Dusty Martin style and got dumped on my head. It was, it was. <laughs> I still watched the vision regularly. It was, it was dramatic. Yeah. And then uh, my second one I was probably in even more unfamiliar territory, and that was randomly at an MMA gym, thinking that I was the next John Jones or something, <laughs> and was sort of going all right, moving around, thinking, hey, hey, I'm pretty tough here. And then bang, got kicked in the head. It felt like someone snuck up behind me um, with a baseball bat. It was that that powerful. Yeah. And and that was the bad one, Rob. So I had post concussion syndrome for like three months mm. and it's the scariest injury I've ever had. I was like, yeah. wow, I just don't feel like myself. I feel completely different. And that's what really made me take concussion very seriously. Yeah. Um, and then I got concussed last year when uh, I ran into Nick Yaron's knee. Nothing nothing dirty about it. Um, he's a good, tough footballer. But yeah, that thing that happens in footy. Mm. And um, and that was sort of better than my second concussion, but still felt pretty, pretty average for three weeks. So look after the young fella. You only have one brain. It's a very serious... Um, very serious injury, the concussion. Yeah. But hey, Essendon and Brisbane Broncos, your two teams are up and about, undefeated mm. at this junction. You'd be very happy about that as a as a Nuffy supporter? Yeah, definitely. Um, the Bronx are probably a bit better than the Bombers tracking, but... You know, I think Bombers, you know, we've had our share of, you know, early draft picks and, you know, if they if they finish around that, you know, 9 to 12 bracket, I'd be pretty happy, I think. But we need to keep building and getting back the package this week and uh, Sam Wiedemann, um, I think we should be all right against St Kilda. I expect us to win. Yeah, I watched the reserves last week in the Bombers and I thought that uh, Ben Hobbs is very unlucky not to mm. get a game as well. Had 35, 36 touches and a couple of goals. Hey, we do have some highlights of last night's game. The Brisbane Lions and the Western Bulldogs on AFL Nation. You're with Matt Hill. And solid as a rock. They went oh. short to Coleman, but it wasn't paid. So Lobb then picks up the scrap, snaps for goal. And it's a reply for the Bulldogs. There are simply no excuses left. Eric Hipwood from the left forward pocket on the angle. Threads it through. The Lions peg it back to two points. Time on at the final turn. Gets it to Baker, who barrels a high one to right half forward for the dog jugal. Hagen at the front, Norton has been able to clunk it and plays on quickly. Bacon goal square, watches it to bounce through. Williams comes through and takes the mark anyway. Williams extends the lead to eight, bangs it into the second row. And pass to Liberatore, hooks inside 50. Hugo Hagen's going to take the mark. The night started with a goal from Jamara. And it may very well finish the same way. It has been a dogged affair. It's been a real scrap. It's what the Bulldogs so desperately needed. They answer the call and get their first points of the season. Jamara Eugel Hagen for his fifth goal. He's the headline act and he finishes it in style. Last night's game, Western Bulldogs 10-7-67, defeated the Brisbane Lions 7-11-53. A bit of an upset in most people's eyes. Definitely the story of the night was the performance mm. of Jamara Hagen, kicking five goals after what was a big week for him. What was your take on that, Rob? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a massive um, game from Jamara. And obviously, Clarkie, you've been a massive fan of Jamara and you've defended him compared to the other key forwards in the competition. And he's, his, what's his third year now? So... 
That's the sort of player he's going to be, though, isn't it? Um, mm. A genuine match winner, and he's kind of probably do that four or five times a season, go out and kick four or five goals. I mean, did you see it that way as well? Well, for sure. I think, uh, obviously, the comparisons are always going to be between Hugo uh, Hagen, Riley Philthorpe, and Logan McDonald, the big key forwards that were all drafted in the top five that year. Um, I think that Hugo Hagen sits probably above those other two, which could be somewhat controversial, especially with Logan McDonald, who's kicked seven goals already this year. But Hugo Hagen already has that bag of five last year against Melbourne and a bag of five against Brisbane. These are two teams that are generally entrenched in the top four. So uh, McDonald, of course, kicked five last week, but that was against Hawthorne, so a little bit of a different story. Um, Hugo Hagen also has that really tall forward line that he has to contend with as well, with Aaron Norton and Rory Lobb in his space. And you could question whether that's the best development for a bloke like that to, to sort of have to work in a forward line within those parameters. But I think Hugo Hagen's an absolute star. He um, is, you know, reminiscent of Buddy Franklin at times. I think that's going to be a harsh comparison um, because he just, you know, he has a lot of differences to what Buddy was as well and, and probably isn't quite as good at ground level and, and with the ball in hand. But I think that he's tracking towards definitely being a top line key position in the AFL. Um, it's not like the old days where you've got to come in and kick bags of five and six from, from the get-go or, or you know, good. Yeah. Um, you know, just sort of doing that two or three goals a week, if that um, is going to put him on the pathway to being one of the best key forwards in the competition. Yeah, definitely. And it is a quite, you know, especially with rolling defences and that sort of thing, um, you know, he, you could see like at times last night he had Harris Andrews on him and he's mm. still able to contest and a few times out of position and brought the ball to ground. And they're the sort of things that Luke Beveridge would have been pretty happy with. You know, like the kicks weren't great to him a couple of times and he made up the distance, halved the contest and then the uh, Mosquito Fleet the Bulldogs forward line were there to uh, clean it up. Um, I was very impressed as well with the Bont. I think he's mm. the best player in the comp in my opinion and he showed that early on. Um, his, his fantasy points weren't too high but that was because he gave away like five or six free kicks. But yeah. geez, he was very dominant early. He had nine touches by halfway through the first quarter. Yeah, the I bond. agree. The Bond's one of those players where when he's up and firing, he just looks like a level above anyone else mm. on the ground. Um, and he certainly showed that at stages last night. You mentioned Luke Beveridge uh, and his thoughts on Jamara Ughagen. This is what he had to say yesterday. He's made some pretty stern stuff, so I think we all had no doubt that he'd be himself tonight and want to do the absolute best for, for the, his team and our team and our club. You know, but to see him play so well on, in such a tough circumstances was just so uplifting. So everyone's unbelievably proud of him. And it was more than just uh, responding to the critics for Jamar Hagen. Obviously, he had a very big week off the field. I loved his first goal where he did the uh, Nicky Winmar celebration, which is quite topical as well, given that we're really close to approaching that 30-year anniversary uh, mm -hmm. when that famous day at Victoria Park when uh, Nicky Winmar play, was playing for St Kilda. And this is what Jamara had to say on his goal celebration. So obviously I knew it was coming up to 30 years um, since Nicky Winmar did that, but it just came in the moment. And obviously I didn't know I was going to kick a goal tonight, so just the celebration just came with the, with this, I don't know, just the game. Well, I felt pretty proud to obviously going out there with all my mates that supported me throughout a tough week and then to do that in front of everyone it just hopefully it makes a stance in a moment and hopefully people look back on it from 30 years now and say from then nothing's happened since and hopefully no one cops anything that I've been through. Put you on the spot a little bit, Robert, but who were your three, two, and one last night? So obviously the Bont has to be in there. Jamar would come into consideration. I really liked the game of Ed Richards. I thought mm. Harris Andrews in a losing team was a bit of a colossus down back, especially in the second half. I think he finished with 16 marks. Um, McRae and Liberatore did their thing. Who did you have as the most impressive players? 
Oh, geez, that's tough, Clarky. I'd have Bont with the three. I mean, I think Hugo Hagen gets the two, and it depends if you wanted to go Brisbane play. I thought Dunkley was good in patches mm. um, as well. I'd probably go Dunkley, but I, th- I could see how people could go Libba because Libba was a bit more of that grunt sort of player and, and sort of got him back in it in that second and third quarter. Not back in it, sorry, but lifted another cog in the second and third quarter, but the Bont was so dominant early. And I like those players that dominate early when the game's there to be won. How about mm. yourself? Or how would you look at it? Nah, look, I think I would give... I thought Ed Richards was very influential. Uh, mm. We will go with Bont, I believe, probably mm. best on ground, um, just because of, like like we sort of touched on earlier, just his impact and influence that he has. Yeah. Um, kicking five goals in out of ten has to put Jamara strongly in contention. And I couldn't sit right with me not giving Harris Andrews at least one vote. Um, mm. I think he spent a lot of time floating between Norton and, and Jamara, who both had a big impact. So, you know, the, your first job as a defender is to defend. But I think he, he helped a lot of those forward thrusts for the for the Lions with his marking and particularly his intercept marking. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. So they've been a powerhouse. As much as they're still searching for the... Uh the big result at the end of the year, we, we knew tonight if we could knock them off, it's um, it a great little milestone for us that we can leverage off. Um, and many, many contributors right across the board, but obviously some outstanding ones in, in Mara and, and some of his teammates had to. You know, I, I said to the boys, I'm torn between really celebrating the win, but also saying, hey, this is what we're capable of. SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Robbie, the Bulldogs had their backs against the wall. They needed to win last night or at least put in a really strong showing after being, I don't know if you would say one of the premiership favourites, but a mm-hmm. team that was expected to, to be around that top four mark. Um, a poor start to the season, but they've they've gone away to redeeming themselves last night. Are they too tall? So we have Jamara Hagen, who we've already spoken about, Aaron Norton, Rory Lobb, uh, Sam Darcy kicked three goals in the first quarter in the reserves yesterday. Then you've got Tim English in the ruck, which is a no-brainer. You need someone like that. Um, Josh Bruce has been forced back into defence. But I thought, interestingly, when the game was on the line, their big money man, Rory Lobb, was put uh, as the sub. So did they draft too tall? Are they structuring up too tall, putting your coach's hat on? Yeah, I think they are a little bit. Um, but they're just going to have to rely on that forward pressure coming forward. But, yeah, it was a tricky one when they had Hugo Hagen and Darcy both there. And then mm. you got Norton. Um, I think some media have sort of spoken about how Norton could be lured back to WA in the future or something like that if those other guys are there. And that could possibly happen. They could just have too many tools in that aspect. But it worked last night all right. But, yeah, I think once subbing out with that option, whoever's performing the least, and Hugo Hagen could be that option as well um, moving forward, Clarkie. Yeah, we will talk about the Brisbane Lions too. They are probably the story of last night. Um, but before that, this is what Chris Fagan had to say after the loss. A bit of frustration. I felt like we had quite a few opportunities to to kick goals that we sort of mucked up at the last last moment. In a, in a game that's as tight as that, you look back at all those little uh, moments in the game where you couldn't complete a play. When it's as close as that, they're the sort of things that you notice, you know, the, the plays you don't complete, the shots that you miss. So that's that's the frustration. What is the go with Brisbane, Robbie? Sometimes they look a million dollars, usually when that game is at the Gabba. Other times they barely look like a finals team. 
Yeah, I'm not too sure. They don't look like they're that grunt sort of side, mm. do they? So at the moment, the pressure sort of comes on them. I definitely was in that basket having them and uh, Melbourne as premiership favourites at the start of the season. And now it's sort of, for me, it's going to Melbourne and Collingwood. How have you seen that one? Yeah, well, we will go through some of the other games later mm. on if we have time. But that was... So I've done my positives and my, my surprise was in a good way and my surprise is in a bad way. Mm. And Collingwood have been the one... Um, you know, I'm not going out on a limb here, but that's been the team that's playing the most premiership-looking like football. Um, and I thought they potentially could have been a team that dropped off. We'll talk about them a little mm. bit more yeah, later. We'll them, yeah. uh, for the Lions, I think that their midfield sometimes look a little bit one-paced. Um, mm. You know, Dunkley adds a fair bit to that team with his grunt and his tackling and, and his pressure. Uh, you got Lockie Neal and, and Zorko and these guys. Um, where do you think the, not, the Lions need to improve? Yeah, I think defensively they need to improve a bit more and getting back. Um, I know there has been some criticism that they don't pair. They sort of just worry about their own sort of players in the back line at times and don't sort of come across and help each other. And that was sort of a bit... And Bulldogs made it that fight last night and it just sort of didn't go well for the uh, Lions. Yep. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie, last or oh, a fortnight ago now, mm. Waratah broke a 20-plus year premiership drought to win this season's NTFL Premiership. The Warriors 10-10-70 defeated Southern District 7-10-52 at TIO Stadium. As we spoke about before, Matt Dennis of Southern District won the Cheney Medal. It's an interesting one. I can definitely see an argument. I wouldn't argue it too strongly. Um, you know, if you thought that Ed Morris or someone like that was a little more influential, I agree. Morris played probably one of the best games he's played all season. Adam Goulden was really good. Um, I would have stuck with, with Dennis's best on ground, but they're an interesting one, the Ruckman. I've seen arguments against uh, Ruckman getting 25 touches, like a Brody Grundy or something, and they say, well, maybe it's better just having like a Max Gorn type who doesn't get as much of the ball, but puts, you know, dominates the hitouts first year to um, to his midfield and can structurally set up behind the ball and stuff like that. Not that Dennis is doing those things, but um, when you have Dennis as your leading ball getter, perhaps they maybe would have liked a bit more influence from a Matt Shannon or a Jake McQueen or someone like that uh, rather than having Dennis going around racking them up. Uh, what was your take on the game? Yeah, my take was I thought coming into the game, I think we were all pretty confident Waratahs were going to win. Mm. And you don't like it. Premierships are hard to win. We both know that. But in hindsight, I actually thought coming into this grand final that Waratahs in a prime position to go back to back. And this is even thinking, which you shouldn't do, but thinking this before um, before the game's even played. And mm. I thought they were pretty disappointed in the second and third quarters. We'd spoken that week about if what districts made the slog, then that's the best way to get Waratahs. And the moment they turned into an arm wrestle, Waratahs just looked stunned, didn't they? Mm. And their backline with O'Sullivan, I think O'Sullivan's game was highly underrated. Yeah, those guys held Waratahs together. Oh, that backline to get them in that. If if Southern Districts had another type similar to Luke Smith, mm. Southern Districts win that grand final because Luke Smith was everywhere. I think Waddy went to him, bathed him, kicked three and had twenty. Mm. Waddy had his four touches, so he didn't win that match up whatsoever. That was the biggest flogging of a matchup, I think, on the day. And if they had one more person, if Dunstan had lifted a little bit, mm. then I think that, you know, Southern Districts almost get them. Well, they probably do get them. So. I agree. I said uh, before the game that Matt Shannon was a bit of a barometer, and I think he only had the six disposals, mm. which is he'd be his lowest tally for the whole year by a mile, I'd imagine. Um, you know, we're talking about a, a bloke who's got VFL experience. He's currently playing in the VFL, um, and, and he's had a great season. He's made the rep team. But I thought that if you had, say, him or Jake McQueen, who last the weekend before against St. Mary's was arguably one of the best players on the ground, if you had one of those two just sort of 
get a bit more involved and have a bit more of an influence on the game, things could have changed because that was any team's game to win uh, deep into that last quarter. Yeah, and if you look at the inside 50 stats, Clark, it was 50 to 35. So mm. Southern Districts had 15 more inside 50s, which is which is the way that we were sitting there in the crowd and felt it was going in that second and third quarter. And they really should have been probably, what, two goals up at three-quarter time? And if they were, then that would have made a very interesting, um, you know, last quarter. Oh, no doubt. Um the celebrations yep. were quite strong. Firstly, credit to, to Waratahs. It sounds like we're being a little bit negative on them. They were challenged and, and responded to the challenge, those three goals. The game was up for grabs. You know, districts didn't just roll over, even though it looked like that a little bit in the end. Um, those last three goals, I think Carol, Anchors, and, and somebody else kicked a goal, uh, were very, very good, very important, and they are the well-deserved premiers. They definitely celebrated too. They would have let mm. all of Mitchell Street know Um through the following couple of days after the grand final about what had happened. Uh, did you like the... I'd like to get your take on the Jaden Magro costume. Obviously, he's dressed up as the boogeyman, which mm. which was a bit of a SCN Fridays in the top end thing um, about Kieran Parnell on that matchup. The, probably one of the... You don't hear a lot of great individual matchups in the NTFL these days, but the Magro-Parnell one sort of picked up a bit of steam late in the year, didn't it? Yeah, it definitely did, and I think... Um, but it, it definitely... Waratahs can't sit back and say they didn't alter the way they played Jaden Magro after the bass oh, that yeah. Parnell gave him. So they moved him into the midfield, and we know the St. Mary's midfield can be pretty unaccountable. And Magro definitely got a, got a hold of that when he went into the midfield. He got used, um, and which built his confidence. And Parnell sort of he had that shoulder injury and he had to have surgery on his shoulder. So I think Parnell is going to be better, back better and stronger next year as well. But I, I'm hearing Parnell won't be back till December. Um, now, so that's with his shoulder, yeah, that's a massive loss for St Mary's. I think St Mary's are going to be could be a slider next year if they um, if they aren't careful. But um, I think the Jaden Magro stuff, I think that's definitely fair play. I think from my time at Waratahs, I think Jaden Magro is probably the best bloke. Yeah, he's a good fella. One of the best blokes at the footy club, um, and that's what we're bringing to the NTFL as well, Clarky, through this program that no other media outlet's done in the history of the NTFL. Is it bringing that? Sort of, it is positive and negative. It's it's an evaluation of NTFL football and a proper evaluation. Mm. We don't go as hard as we want to, no. but they definitely we sort of saw. Should keep the mic rolling during our private yeah, conversations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. But you know, we we haven't gone as hard as we wanted to. But definitely, some teams used it as fuel this season. And oh, mate, there's no doubt about that. And I think Waratah in particular. You know, we've we've gone to enough Sunday sessions on Mitchell Street to to mm. hear a lot about um, the motivation they're using it for. I, I wouldn't be surprised if. Ryan Ayers didn't say anything before the game and just played played one of your good, bad, ugly segments yeah. <laughs> from the previous weeks. But, look, we did get a bit of criticism um, about how we didn't rate Waratah, but mm. I think we were fair on them. And I know that's it's yeah. a one-sided argument here that we're both in agreement and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, what had Waratah done leading up to the finals that, that made you so convinced on them? You know, they, they lost to... St. Mary's in a game where they had a clearly better team and they lost last year and they hadn't won a flag for 23 years so we could be forgiven for, for not being exactly certain on Tars. Once that first final came around and they belted Saints I think we changed very quickly then and labelled them as the Premiership favourites. Yeah definitely and you know, they, and, they, and in that Clarkie which you didn't mention is they lost the Southern Districts twice during mm. the year but in our week two finals prediction I said that they had six to eight players play in them, them games at in both of those games, which aren't in their best 22. Mm. And even Joel Crocker acknowledged that as well on the show. So they went in with their strongest sides. And against St. Mary's, admittedly, they had a very strong team. But they ended up going in with that game and they probably just didn't gel as well and just sort of... But that was sort of the Waratahs that we'd always seen come finals time. Mm. Um, but we never took them out of winning the flag. We no. At Christmas time, I said it was a three-club race and that's the way it ended. And 
It'll be interesting as well, Clarky, for us to touch on. I think Nycliffe is a big discussion point. We could talk, you know, 30 minutes about Nycliffe oh, and sure. about them. But I think Waratahs as well deserve. But they've got the best side on paper. 13 oh, state leaguers yeah. you'd, and, and 100 grand budget. You'd expect them to sort of feature, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%. I think... Um I think the success of Waratah won't just be on capturing one flag and be mm. keeping this group together and hopefully for them winning two or three flags in the mm. next couple of years. And, you know, I don't know if you call it a dynasty in local footy, but going on mm. a bit of a sustained run of performances rather than peaking and then dropping again so quickly. So um, it sounds like Ryan Ayers will stay on uh, next year. Is that, is that the mail you're hearing or are you hearing something different? No, I, I heard stuff different that he wasn't going on, but then... Um after the hearing some of the grand final celebrations and the antics, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he is going on. Um, I personally don't think he should finish up. Mm. I think when you've got a premiership side, they're in that window now. They right might lose. Ride it out. They've got three or four players. I reckon that they might lose this coming up. But they they qualified some players last year and got their points lowered, like that Mc, um, Mc, McDonough from mm. Bombers. Um, Blair, what's his name? Blair from uh, Waffle, oh, someone yeah. Blair or something like that. Yeah, yeah, the There's Ford. A, yeah, so they've got a couple of players that might be coming back as drop points as well, Clarky, to factor in. Yep. Uh, we will review some of these games. Obviously, we'll leave Waratah to last now because we've spoken a good deal mm. about them and their season. Um, but yeah, look, I think there's no complaints overall. Just to wrap this Premier League stuff up, uh, I think the best team in the comp won it. I think that St. Mary's were a good team as well, but lacked a little bit of depth. And, and some of their players that they relied on, like Dylan Lant, were starting to get very sore towards the end of the year. Yep. Districts definitely could have won the flag. We mm. know that. It would have been a monumental turnaround from that second semi-final loss. But to be in a winning position late in the last quarter suggests that they easily could have won it um but yeah i'm happy to i'm ha i feel satisfied knowing that waratah are the premiers this year i think they the, the best team won on the day well i think also clarky um the, the the two most consistent sides all year made the grand final hmm. so southern like waratahs won the games they had to win they lost the saints once during the year and lost to districts twice and i'm pretty sure that's their only losses so um, anyone below them they never lost to so mm. they, the six bottom sides they took care of comfortably southern districts were challenged a couple of times and lost to nycliffe and, and buffaloes like the draw but they were the two most consistent sides all year and mm. everyone was always talking and even we were guilty of talking saints to run home they're coming home with a, and they just ran out of wind and Buffaloes and Nycliffe show glimpses, but at the end of the day, the two most consistent sides made the grand final, and I like to see that. It seemed a, and obviously there's a few more controversial statistics that we know about, but mm. it seemed like a bit of a southern competition this yep. year. Yep. Uh, a lot of a uh, players, um, you know, a lot of our gun local players didn't feature super highly in, in our list that we made and team of the years. The the locals versus interstate team that we came up with on this show um, almost looked heavily weighted into the interstate team just because of how, mm. how many good interstate players we've had in the competition. And then Southern Districts and Waratah, and I'm not going to make any friends by saying this, but um, have traditionally been seen as, as southern clubs or at least clubs that can draw upon their recruits from down south really well. So definitely had a bit of a southern feel about it this year. Is that, did you get that same take? Yeah, I definitely did, Clarky. And um, people have said stuff about how Waratahs fitted the points in because Waratahs did have about three or four locals. Mm. But obviously, if you get a player to move up now in the current rules, like how you had Collis move up three years ago, Collis becomes a one-pointer. So then year two, he's a zero. Mm. So that, like, how that happens is pretty... Um, that's how it happens as well if you can maintain these recruits because they pretty much become locals. So he's playing juniors and developing, developing the, the, you know, your juniors through the 18s and that step up to Premier League. Is that somewhat overrated now? That's the discussion because I'm thinking it probably is mm. and it could be a dinosaur move to do that. If you can just get an ex-VFL player to move up 
after 12 months, he's a zero pointer and pretty much a local junior classified yeah, as. This exactly is where the right. point system gets lurky. Yeah. Because as a local kid moving four pointer, I reckon that's had a more worse effect on the locals, maintaining locals, than the, the, the point system should have done. Yeah, I, I could talk all day about the point system. Mm. Uh, one of my questions actually for later on about Nycliffe is, is there such thing as a rebuild in territory footy? So we're sort of touching on that a little bit. But you're right. I um, I think there, if you're playing to the letter of the law, there are so many loopholes in the point system that you can mm. exploit. Um, and, and I don't know if the AFL are under-resourced. Like, it's not about sort of pot-shotting AFL and T because it's hard to make a, a rule set and, and guidelines that everyone agrees with. But, yeah, I agree to you with that four-point situation. Mm. There's plenty of local players that uh, leave clubs for various reasons, and it's not so much. I don't know if we've ever had a huge issue. I know we've got Cameron Islet, but I don't know if we've had a huge issue of locals being poached for Bitcoin and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, you know, oftentimes when locals leave, it's either for family reasons um, or, or for opportunity. So yeah. sticking them as the highest as a four-pointer yeah. is, is a tricky one. Yeah, it was definitely as well. Like when I was going for that Wanderers job, there was about 10 players that said they were going to leave, and they were all going to be four-pointers. I was like, was if you're Wanderers football club, yeah. how do you fit in? Well, if you... If you're Wanderers and if you're the committee, if you had any brains, you would have just said, look, you guys go then. None yeah. of them are good enough to go to St. Mary's and be four-pointers except Braden McLean. Mm. All the rest of them would have just, you know, filled up the Divi, the Divi 1. So you got to understand that. And I think footy clubs like Wanderers and Buffaloes and Saints that have better local bases need to recruit better if they want to compete with Waratahs and Districts next year. Yep. No, I've got no doubt about that. Mm. We do need to go to a break very, very soon. Uh, the Women's Premier League, what a turnaround by Pint. We spoke to Ricky Nolan last week on the show, and he was undoubtedly a happy man. Jasmine Hewitt, the star again, but it was a big win. 40 points in the end over Waratah, a team that beat him a fortnight previously. Yep. Was that a surprise for you? The margin definitely was. Mm. Don't know how you've seen it, but we all tipped Pints, and I thought, Maybe we disrespected yeah, Waratahs I that a, a bit. bit too, yeah. And then Waratahs come out, and I think Waratahs started well, can want to kick the first two, maybe, mm. and then they just fell flat. And the, the, you know, I shouldn't say this because it's taken away from the two sides in the grand final. But I thought St Mary's would have won, like being close to winning that flag. And I thought, geez, like considering how how much they pushed points the week before. Um, they were a disappointing factor for me in the last two or three weeks of the finals if we're going to have mm. equality on evaluating the men's and the women's programs. But um, great co great coaching performance from Rick Nolan. And we did say that the, that week mm. that Rick Nolan hadn't seen a few of these Waratah girls probably and then he was able to digest them. And Knowing they, Rick, he probably would have watched yeah. 20 hours of vision during yeah. that, like Definitely. not even exaggerating. He, yep. he lived and breathed it. And I know this flag would have meant a lot to him um, mm. given, A, his coaching aspirations in the future clearly he wants to go back into the men's premier league yep. um, and also how close he is with the group too he's uh, if you listen to rick whether it's on air off air he speaks so glowingly about the group that he's coaching and, and just loves everything about how the queen ants go about their football and their will to improve yep. and stuff like that so no doubt that would have been very important to him but you're right i thought uh leading into the grand final hey have we shown enough respect to waratah they might actually be the premiership favorites other media outlets have have been asking around for predictions and i think waratah mm. were the favorite i think you know, 75% of people I saw tipping that game had yep. Waratah to win. So for Pints to come out so emphatically, I think shows is a testament to that club and the coach. Yeah, definitely. And it made our team of the year as well justifiable. I think mm. we had eight or nine Pints girls in that team. And obviously the other page is doing their top players. And it's going to be interesting to see how much Pints players they do have in that list, considering Pints was so dominant this season with a percentage mm. of like four or 500. They should have six or seven girls in that top 25. And I bet you they don't. Yeah, I'd love to see... 
who what the cutoff is too with the amount mm. of games and that sort of stuff because you have someone like Daniel Ponta who was clearly going to be the player of the final series if Saints would have won and then Jasmine Hewitt who mm. who gets the chocolates in the end with a couple of best on ground performance in a row. Uh, I was, I'm not going to compare Hewitt to Ponter. It's unfair. They're both star players. You don't have to compare everyone. But, gee, Jasmine Hewitt's building a pretty good resume, isn't she, as a, as a territory footballer? Yeah, she definitely is. And she definitely... A, a few people told me that they didn't rate her or said that she actually worsens pints or something as well before the finals. That's and, a strange one. Um, that was strange. And so I, I thought it was a massive final series for her. And um, I definitely think she's the second best player in the comp uh, to Danielle Ponner. Um, and her final series, though, took her up to that calibre where some people would say she's better than Danielle. Um, and, and they're justified as well in having that opinion from her final series. Well, I think that... It's too hard to say that she's better than Danielle, given what Danielle's done at the top level. Mm. Um, but if you're talking about purely NTFL players, in the women's competition, having that such a versatile player like a Hewitt who can... Like, I think she might have kicked... I could be wrong here, but I think she kicked 30-plus goals in her first season back when she was at St. Mary's, way back in the day. And more recently, um, she's developed as that ruckman that can run around everywhere. I know she's played in defence at higher levels, like the Sandfall and AFLW. To have a... have a Like a, a Mrs. Fix-It uh, is the word I would use. It You know, a player that can just plug holes and, and do whatever um, the team needs on the day. I think Jasmine Hewitt, there's probably no better player in the competition than that. I would have loved to have seen Daniel Ponte be played behind the footy, which I spoke to yeah. Rick about last week, and and it was a funny one that one because Rick was sort of saying, I think he played it a bit on the fence there, saying, oh, you you, you never know until after you finish the game and you review it. It's hard in the moment. It, it did seem pretty obvious in the moment, didn't it? Oh, it definitely did. It was one of the, it was you know I don't want to be too critical of you know, but there was some critical decisions that cost St Mary's in that aspect and. Yeah, Daniel Ponner should have went started on the ball, let alone went eight minutes in. So mm. that was quite... Uh, it was alarming, wasn't it, Clarkie, to be honest? Congrats to the Queen Ants. Congrats to the Waratah Football Club in mm. the Premier League and obviously commiserations to those teams that just missed out. I think if we have time, Rob, it might be a good idea to... Because we were doing our previews and we kind of... Sorry, our reviews of these mm. teams and we sort of... It was, it was a hot topical conversation too when we were putting those reviews up. Yep. But we still have four teams that we could probably go through... Uh, uh, so we might do that uh, after the break. Yep. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie, we spoke about uh, a fortnight ago's grand finals, some interesting results, and, and much of the sameness in some of the other grades. We're going to go through the club reviews, but something that I want to mention very quickly was the under-18s grand final. So yep. we're going back a little bit now. That was two weeks ago exactly. And that was one of the best games of junior footy that I have seen in a long, long time. I didn't even know that the under-18s grand final was on the Friday night. I thought it still had that same Saturday set up. But after being there in attendance, gee, the atmosphere was crazy. I think they should keep that Friday night time slot. I don't know if you feel the same. But it was a very good game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a good game. I think it was a good game in the, in the sense of the atmosphere and, and the um, just the relationship between the two sides. I think standard-wise, I thought it was a drop-off from previous years. Yeah. But, um, but the excitement and the excitement finish. was great. Well, it's got to be a lot better than two years ago when I coached and we were at the back at number two over oh, on yeah. midday Saturday. That was just a stupid yeah. decision well, from the NTFL. I played in a flag and it was at 9, 9 a.m. Yeah, so like no that, that stuff. Friday night footy for the under-18s just in general is a, is a massive plus, I think, and starts the weekend off right. No, and we like to go watch that. It's, you don't go watch it for the physical aspect. You go watch it for the pace, don't yeah. we? And it was a great win from uh, Jimmy Arata. St. Mary's were certainly the favourites going into that 
grand mm. final and choked a bit. You know, um, the favourite and still about two minutes to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And they missed that. And you've got to remember also that they missed that shot running mm. into open goal, which hit the post. It doesn't yeah. get any closer than that. So, very disappointing. I think that's Jared Livingston's fourth grand final loss in a row. So, um, and he's moved away to Melbourne now. So, um, yeah, disappointing for him. But at St. Mary's under-18s group, now that, that's four grand finals in a row they've been in. So, it's been so that we should start to see some of those players filtering into the Premier League soon. I was saying to Jacob Andre last week that that finish to the grand final, had that goal that went through, would have mm. surpassed Leo Barry and some of the other great grand final moments I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen. He took about three bounces, a few don't argues. It would have been the ultimate hero story had that goal oh, that went definitely. through. But the hero instead was uh, a young man by the name of Dwayne Kiranua who kicked all five goals. Um, gee, I tell you what, I know... I know you, you you get shot down here if you try and mention poaching and stuff like that. But if I was a new Premier League coach or coaching a team like a Palmerston or something like that, I'd be inquiring about what, what Dwayne Kiranura as a zero-pointer is doing next year, a young 18-year-old coming through. He certainly showed yeah. a lot of Premier League traits. Yeah, definitely. And looking at his schedule, he only played what the one or mm. two Premier League games. He is a zero-pointer. Um, obviously, he's one of those players that Tiwi are going to have to try to keep and um, develop. He's going to he's definitely going to need a lot more town-based football. Um, I thought the matchup on him from St. Mary's was the wrong match yeah, um, I think the guy that played on him, um, Fondu, I think his name was, has just had the pace for him, but not the smart. So I would have put a mm. Nick Stefanakis on him, or even an Isaiah Baldock, perhaps, or someone a bit smarter um, down back onto him. And I think he needed that respect of a seasoned footballer, not someone who's sort of new to football. Yeah. Um, and that matchup got found out. So um, kicking the five, all five of the Waratah goals, it was deserved best on ground. And I thought the free kicks were there. Um, yeah. The same as on the social media put up stuff no, that I thought it was, was fine. negative. I thought that, sh- that those posts shouldn't have been put up. Um, and everyone's seen them as well. And I ran into Jimmy Arata yesterday and, at the coffee shop and he actually said that he's seen it as well. So, yeah. you know, is what it is. Yeah, though. we don't have to bring all of that stuff up. But honestly, the only goal, the only team that I thought was robbed of a goal on that night was, was the Waratah one, that big kick out of the out of the middle where they played a hold in early in the game oh, in the second yeah. quarter. So, yeah, that was poor. And, and it was a low-scoring game here, so it's not about highlighting a single thing, but if you're going to go on about how the umpires cost you, and, and they'll argue that that, weren't, that wasn't their words, but it was their sentiment. Mm. Um, you know, I well, think you've got to look both make, ways. So. Yeah. There you go. Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the NTFL clubs that we haven't touched on yet in our reviews. Let's go with Nycliffe. So they've been out of the comp for a little while now. Um, A bit of an ageing midfield, if I must say. You've got Brodie Philo and Sean Wilson, who are still two of their better players. Um, They're in their early 30s. Cameron Islet was probably the best player of the final series, just about, for the Tigers, um, and he's nearly 40. Mm -hmm. Is that a problem for Nycliffe? Can they just reload and recruit and, and then be thereabouts again next year, or is a little bit more to it than that. Uh, for me, Clark, it's a no. Um, so I think this year was their free hit mm-hmm. to go out. They, they don't have anything to prove to anyone. Um, and I think I think this year, you know, you bring in Hamish Hartlett and they brought in recruits that probably weren't as high level as they expected, but they all still were Premier League standard players. And they're on. A, I think their bottom end is what gets them. They've got no zero pointers. They've got mm-hmm. no... You know, and Boyo and um, Brown Dog are both aging as well, which is, you know, they're not going to get any younger, these guys. Mm. Um, judging from what I'm hearing, um, they will go again for a top three spot. So do you see them being that side next year? Look, I'm a big believer, and this is the ultimate sit-on-the-fence comment, but mm. I'm a big believer, whether it's AFL or NTFL, that things can change more than people think. Mm. So just because you can't see, you know, a final spot for, say, using Wanderers, for an example, or Palmerston or, or something, or you couldn't see, say, Bus winning a flag next year, I think all these things can happen. So I'd be silly to rule out Nycliffe, but I think 
they need to make changes, whether it's the way they are coached and then their style of football or the personnel. It's got to be one of the two. I don't think they can go in with the attitude of, oh, they were, they were nearly there this year because I think ultimately they were a fair way off it this year. Mm. Um, I think faster, younger teams can exploit them. I think they need gradual improvement, uh, which we saw this year, but of Quinn and Politas, the rising star winner and, and players like that. And below them, I'd love to see uh, players like Phoenix, Joe Poole and Adrian Scott play more and more senior footy. Yeah. I watched those both in the under-18s and there's plenty of talent there. But not only that, they offer what the Nycliffe senior team don't have and that's a lot more pace and, and a bit more flair and, and that local style of football that potentially they've been criticised for over the last couple of years, being a bit more of a slower sort of southern team, which has mm-hmm. worked for them, mind you. Um, but... Yeah, they, they lack a little bit. Like when they won that flag, I think one of those years they won a flag, their midfield was something like Don Brew, James Cheetahs. Maybe maybe they were in different years that year. But you're talking mm. about the caliber of those guys, both of which coincidentally have left the club now. Mm. But gun state league types that come in and, and have a really, really big impact on the club. You know, Philo and Wilson and Islet, it's much of the same. I think, I think mm. they need something either on top of that or they need to change up the style drastically and bring in more youth and a bit more speed. Yeah, if, if I'm putting my coach's hat on Clarkie, and let's just say if I was coaching them next year, I'd be going with a play up, sort of a um, rebuild sort of model next year. Mm. Um, I would start to play some local kids. They're not getting the same money in from the social club as they have previously. So your recruitment has been limited. They've got some good players in the um, Prem's reserves. I'd have those guys playing, um, getting their points down. And they're young fellas. They're 2021. 20, so mm. building those guys up to zeros. Get games into Quinn, um, Stanley Cox, Politas, keep that development. And then you've got the other fellas in Phoenix, Joe Poole. Um, and Adrian Scott as well. I'll be getting games into those kids, but it doesn't sound like Nycliffe want to do that. It sounds like Nycliffe are straight away talking about recruits and that sort of thing. And so they're going for that top spot again um, and another premiership window, but I don't see it happening personally. And I think they'll finish fourth and fifth and make up the numbers next year. Is there such thing as a real rebuild in territory footy? How does that look in reality? Mm. Because... Obviously, you've got um, like the Hawthorne situation in the AFL where they've gutted their side and played kids. Could you do something like that in territory footy or does it need to be done a little bit more differently than the traditional... Yeah, it definitely needs to be done a bit more differently. They need to get some more um, players up here to lower points, though. And they've got a points issue. They've got guns sitting in the mm. Premier League reserves. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, they've got a massive point issue. And, and recruiting more Southerners, more people that are points, isn't going to help that. So no. I think they need a quick little rebuild. Just get some games into kids and tell them, oh, we'll give you one season of games or two seasons of games, and then we're going for another flag. So make them develop and then develop all those zero pointers to make it competitive again. Yeah, you talk about guns in the Premier League reserves. I agree. Mm. I think we were watching at Nycliffe Oval when I believe it was that deepest quality who was mm. playing just about his first game of the season and was one of the mm. better players on the ground. Yep. And I was wondering why he hadn't played a lot of footy because that didn't look like a Premier League reserves mm. player out there um, on that afternoon, that night. So, yeah, interesting predicament the Tigers are in. We will go through them a little bit more yep. and go through the other clubs as well. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SCN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Hey, we were just talking footy cards with young <laughs> Seth Hale, and I was saying I wasn't much of a footy card kid um, when I was younger. And what are you, Rob? Are you a footy card kid? Yeah, I definitely was. I used to steal them from the news agency. So that was Jeez. my little hobby. Um, but yeah, I did get caught one day, so I stopped. Yeah, no, that yeah, sounds a bit like you. Criminal behaviour. Um, hey, we were going through Nyclist review and some very interesting insights from you, a guy who is a former Tiger himself um, and your old great. man. Yeah, old man coached the team as well, um, Damien Hale. So 
Well, let's do a bit of a rating. Where did you see their season out of 10 um, and where to for next year? Uh, yeah, I've seen their rating probably a five, to be honest, because which is stiff because they did play finals and win a final. Mm-hmm. But they went back for that premiership. They went for a top three finish. They would have expected to be week three at least of the finals, I thought, um, with the way they recruited as well. And um, they didn't do that. Um, I, I'm not sold on them for next year with them going for that heavy recruitment. Um, I probably, But I still think they're going to be good enough to finish fourth or fifth next year. I'm probably more thinking fifth or sixth, though. Yeah, I probably have them a little bit higher than what you do. I mm. would have them probably a 6 out of 10, but I don't disagree with any of your points. I think it's a bit subjective, but you're right. They went for a flag and they were just about middle rank, you know, finishing 4th mm. out of out of 9. So they'd be a touch disappointed um, mm. and definitely be a, yeah, I don't think it'd be a 7 or 8 out of 10, definitely a, a 6 out of 10 or a 5. Uh, next year, I do, I'm probably a little bit more optimistic. I think that sometimes the team that wins a flag are the teams that are, that are put together the best or managed really well off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a points issue is a concern for them at the moment, but if they can get that right and get the bulk, get the players they want to come up that, are, that aren't three or four pointers um, mm-hmm. and then top up with a bit of cream on top, top up with a bit of class to help out Philo and Wilson and Ireland and these older fellas. Um, I think they could definitely be in contention for a flag if, if Waratah and Districts drop off. So I think St Mary's are the big unknown, which we'll get to next. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously sitting on the fence a little bit here. I'm going to tip that they come third or fourth next year. Yeah, my prediction's fifth or sixth, but also, look, I think Bucksy's would will be going around again next year, from what I'm hearing. Um, how that goes with the group? Does Cameron Islet retire? Do they? There's issues. Do they want to move on Brody Philo? Do they want to go in a new direction with Brody? Um, there's like there's lots of little things going on at Nightcliff that I'm hearing. I think Brody's gettable from other clubs. Is yeah. it going to distract the group spending six months in Cairns? I think so. The... so. That's another thing to factor in. He's going to be in Cairns and get back in October. I think Dave Barnard probably runs this preseason for him and Cameron Islet perhaps, but. I think that's somewhat unsettling for mine, and that's why I've got them fifth or sixth. I just, I just think they're probably around that, um, and they might finish as high as fourth. But I think they're a bit off top three, aren't they? Perhaps. Yeah. Plenty more to come here with the reviews. We will talk about St Mary's districts and Waratah. More to come later on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Robbie, we just spoke about the NTFL Grand Finals and we're speaking about the club reviews now. And I wouldn't say it was a scathing review on Nycliffe, but but a 5 out of 10 and, and then a, a, a prediction for them to potentially miss the finals next year is perhaps a big call for a team that's been up for so long. Yep. I'm interested in your thoughts on St. Mary's. So they had another year where for a large portions of the year, we sat at this table with Raf and, and we thought that perhaps they were the premiership favourites or, or the team that would win the premiership. Maybe not the best team in the comp, but we we kind of were expecting them to peak in the finals as they always do. It didn't quite happen uh, this year. It wasn't that they rolled over or anything like that, but it was a disappointing first week against Waratah, um, and then they were sort of able to respond a little bit. But um, didn't really look like a premiership team after that loss, I thought, early in the finals. Mm. Um, I think they need to improve their depth, get a little bit more help for Dylan Lant, who was playing sore late in the year. Mm. Nate Paredes does a lot of work in the midfield, and Jackson Calder sometimes looks like a bit of a one-man show up forward. Uh, what was your take and what is your take on where St Mary's sit? My take on St Mary's at the moment is I think they need a gorilla backman, they need a ruckman and they need another key forward. Um, they don't grow on trees in Darwin. No, they don't. So I think they sort of need that spine um, a bit better. I think outside of that, they're pretty good. Uh, midfield depth-wise, you'd want, like we'd said two weeks ago, 
you need Fowler or one of those blokes living here. You need all four mm. of those fly-ins playing. They only had the four fly-ins. So Jellyman, um, Smithson, um, Boyle ended up Boyle playing. and uh, Fowler were the four. Mm. You need all four of them to be competitive, I thought. Um, and yeah, I think St. Mary's are going to have to recruit better. I think previously they've relied on their um, the history of them being St. Mary's mm. and the committee's pretty comfortable in comfortable <laughs> in that in that but they're going to need to give Chopper more help they need to rent it you know if you want to talk about what Waratah's doing districts do recruiting players and bringing players that's what St Mary's need to do Clarky. yeah well you spoke about a Ruckman um, mm. I know for a fact that they are mm. putting out a few feelers on the recruitment front to some yep. blokes who may have played in the Ruck over the last couple of years may have even played in a rep team yeah um, but they are working hard on the recruitment front uh, St Mary's at the moment so I reckon are they the type of team because Historically, they've responded well. Whenever you think that Saints might underperform in a year, they normally come mm. out and win the flag. Can you see that happening? Uh, obviously, you said they can't rely on their laurels. They can't sort of see like, hey, we've traditionally been good for 70 years, so it's just going to happen for us. Um, but do you think that St Mary's have the resources at the moment off the field to be able to attract those recruits still and then compete with the Waratah next year? No, they don't have the resources right now, Clarkie. And Is that financially if, or Yeah, financially. Or, but, you know, you hear stories of them, you know, making players pay for their partners to go to the nickels and stuff like that, which just sounds ludicrous to me. But I think they do need to open up the coffins a little bit and just try to try to get some, you know, players to the footy club. Mm. I think their recruits that they brought this year were probably subpar. They weren't – they're not state league level players, um, except Boyle and Fowler were great recruits, but you can only have one of them in the team. Yeah, and they're flying. The other boys were a bit lacking, I thought. Um, so – their midfield does get forward a lot as well. So I think adding a bit more of a defensive mindset to that midfield would be a, a plus for mine. Um, I do see them staying in that top three, though. But I think they could slide out for a Pints or someone like that. Or if a Nycliffe do sort of get the gel back together and the, the group gets rejuvenated, which I don't think is going to happen, to be honest. Traditionally, but. you've had blokes like Boyle and Jellyman Turner and players of mm. that calibre who are very good players, taking nothing away from them. But you've had a group of that relocate to Darwin and live for the season. Mm. And then you have fly-ins on top where they can sort of complement their yep. list or, or fix up a few weaknesses. I'm interested in the call for a gorilla backman. Mm. What's your theory behind that? So if you look at Matty Green, that was the bloke who we had, I think, fullback in our team of the year. So mm. there'd be people saying, hey, they've got the team of the year fullback. Why do you need another big defender? But I did think, uh, and, and full credit to Green, that Darcy Hope and Sam Dunstan got the better of him in mm. the finals. They are both big boys. Hope's obviously got a lot of muscle behind him and Dunstan's about 200 centimetres. So is, is that why you think that blokes like Green need a bit of help, like just just a bigger guy down back? Yeah, definitely. They, they tried Auburn and um, Braxton Armat as well down back, and mm. I thought those guys as key backs were a bit away from it. I think Matty Green needs that help, and I think another big back like a Tom Davies sort of type oh, yeah. when he was there. Yeah. and um, Someone like that with, who can take a scalp, um, and that doesn't need to be a high-level footballer either. Mm. Um and they had, you know, they had uh, the, the premiership player. I forgot his name um, in the in the reserves that never played all. Gallus. Gallus only played one or two games. Um, maybe they rejuvenate him and try to get him back in. Um, but Matty Green needs help back there. It's mm, an interesting one. Not certainly not going against anything you say, Rob. But mm. how many teams in NTFL could do with like a gun gorilla backman? Really? Like I was just thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, but Tiwi buffs. Yep. But I think these footy clubs get delusional, like delusionalised in how they recruit. They go and recruit three or four midfielders. Mm. You go up against Waratahs who have Benolis, Hope, Magro, yeah. um, and then you've got Anchors and Carroll all sitting around at the bottom. You need matchups for these blokes. Mm. And 
the inside 50s, you know, and all that sort of thing. Uh, Darcy Hope took apart a few sides this year, and Benola's had a pretty good final series as well. So I think you just need those two key backs to compete with the top sides, don't you? We do. We do need to go to a break, but let's get a ranking and a quick prediction for next year. Yeah, my ranking for Saints was a... I think I'll give them a six. Um, and my prediction for next year, I think they finished third or fourth. Yeah. I'm going to also give them a 6 out of 10, which seems a little bit yeah. harsh for some people, but it's a bit like if, you know, if the, the, the kid in class who normally gets 99% on a test gets, gets 92%, you're sort mm -hmm. of like, hey, what's going on here? And that's what St Mary's, uh, they are being judged to a high standard because we're talking about a team who, you know, won the most flags up here. They made the grand final. I think they missed out on the grand final like 10 times in 70 years or something crazy mm -hmm. like that. So to finish in, uh, in third position and not really look close, to be honest with you. Like yeah, I thought they I looked agree. a fair way away from Waratah and Districts at the end of the season. I think a 6 out of 10 is fair enough. Mm -hmm. Saints could be anything from the Premiers next year to probably as was fifth. I can't see them missing the finals. I can definitely see them regrouping and, and putting a team together that's, that's good enough to win a flag. But as you've said very, very well, um, it's not just going to happen for them. There are a lot of different things that will need to happen for Saints to you know, be back where they once was. And the, and the two best tactical coaches in the league, and Shannon Rusker and Ryan Ayers, have worked them out. So mm. they need to, they're definitely going to need to do something different next need more, season. Need more Clarkie. depth, surely. More depth. And, and some of those young kids they've got, like Mitch Musgrove and Jai Hartung, are both going away and playing footy mm. again this off-season, which I'm massive for. And I, I hope Jacob Long can do the same and those players so they can play 24. Jacob should be know, in a state league club. Yeah, they should be playing more football. Um, mm. And two of those boys are doing that, which is great. And I hope their development, they come through better in October. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie, we are reviewing the NTFL clubs that we missed out on. The NTFL season finished a fortnight ago uh, with Waratah defeating Southern Districts. And Districts are the club that we're going to look at at the moment. So I think Coach Shannon Rusker, a great tactical coach, would be a little bit frustrated with the season, you know, because of the fact that he's a competitive bloke. But he'd have to be happy and take a little bit of solace from the improvement from that disastrous semi-final loss. In the grand final, they were poor in the first quarter, but controlled the game during the second and third and were certainly in a winnable position. How do you think he would see the season and how do you see the season? I think it was a, I think it was a pretty much a win for Southern Districts in most senses. I'd probably give them an 8 out of 10. Mm. Um, I did think, though, that they'd be a top three side with Shannon Rosker come back, so that was one of my calls of the year. Um, but obviously, you win minor premierships, you'd probably want to win the flag as well. And uh, Waratahs, they definitely had their chances, but I think um, just that forward line sort of broke down from a bit. Um, Dean Staunton was a surprise performance yeah. this year. He went back the clock for mine. Um, Especially in the finals. Yeah, and, and the recruitment of Matty Dennis was obviously the recruit of the yeah. season, in all in all honesty, and I think that's a pretty obvious one. Smith was a surprise packet too, how well Smith, he could play. Yeah, and it was, it was ludicrous that Smith missed out on a rep side oh, yeah. jumper. Same with Driscoll. Yeah. Um, Driscoll was, got the better of Darcy Hope, pretty much, I thought, in the Both grand final. Both should have probably been in the and team. And got the better of Calder as well. Mm. So, you know, he, Driscoll's the best key back for mine in the comp. Um, bottom line. But, yeah, I thought it was a great year for them um, to bounce back like that, and I think they'll be building next year. Um, and I was impressed also with um, Cam Ellis-Yellman's grand final. I thought he was yep. good, and he'll be living here for the whole season next year. Um, he's just a mammoth of a man, isn't he, Cam Ellis-Yellman? Oh, so. he's like a 110-kilo midfielder. <laughs> yeah, and the conditions suited him a bit in that grand final, and he definitely, a couple of times he could have annihilated the few Waratah boys, and it just didn't come off. It's sort of the ball slipped out of their hands or something, oh, yeah. and I was like, geez, it could have been. That would have had 
added some real good spice to the granny. So you've given them an 8 out of 10. Where to for next year, quickly? I think another forward would be great. Yeah. Um, another key forward. Is it a key forward or another tricky matchup sort of forward would be great for him, I think, Clarkie. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to go an 8 out of 10 again. I think mm. getting Dennis again is going to be paramount mm. to their success. Um, you need one to get Luke Smith and, and players like that. So... I think Shannon Rusk is probably the right guy. Um, I know that's not going out on a limb here, but he's a bloke that is well-resourced. You look at some of the players that didn't play in the grand final, like Boyd Woodcock and Dallas Willsmore and blokes like that. So clearly they've got Joe a great... Bolton. Yeah, big, exactly right. They've got a huge recruiting pool to go through. Um, Rusk is good tactically, and he's also you know got, got the financial connections as well. So districts will be around the mark again next year. Yep. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Hey, Rob, we love our segments here on Fridays in the Top End, and we're going to introduce mm. one starting from next week, which will be like the NTFL alma mater. So we'll talk about... We're going to have to clarify this. I don't know if it's players who have played in the NTFL, or, or preferably for me, I think we'll just talk about Northern Territory AFL players, because some of these kids were you know, picked up before they could play a senior game in the NTFL, but yeah. they would have played NTFL juniors. Um, not going to go through every single player because there's no doubt I will miss some, you know, like I just off the top of my head, I don't have Jace Bergwijn mentioned down here in our notes, but there's plenty of NTFL players that we'll probably miss here, but let's talk about the start of the season for a few of them. So I'm going to start with the Richmond players, Daniel Rioli, um, a sensational game from Daniel in the season opener against Carlton, arguably best on ground, and he received the maximum 10 coaches votes from his 27 disposals. He provided excellent rebound all night, and I thought he was pretty good last weekend too with 23 touches against Adelaide, a potential and it's a big call, all Australian season, if you can keep that form up. Obviously, there's a long way to go and he would have to play some sensational football. But, you know, he was I think he was thereabouts at that original top 40 list last year in the All-Australian and he's sort of started where he left off last year. Yeah, definitely. Daniel Rioli has been very good, hasn't he? Um, and he did, I think he made the top 40, yeah. didn't he? And just missed out. And I made an All-Australian side and had him in there. So his form since moving to half-back, he was a bit at the career crossroads a bit for 100%. a moment there. And uh, going back to half-back, he has got a big tank and he has been impressive, hasn't he? With probably the best on-ground performance in round one and expect a big one from him tonight. It's quite remarkable. I know in the NBA they do the most improved player in the competition mm. award and, and if they did that in the AFL, he would be right up there because we are talking about a bloke. Like the crossroads is an understatement. He was definitely there. He was playing as a small forward and just wasn't hitting the scoreboard and, and wasn't doing, I suppose, what Hardwick needed of him at the time. And, and, and you know, it's, uh, Richmond had a lot of small forwards in that team. But Daniel went back to the VFL and played yeah. a couple of games at that level, moved to the halfback flank, and now it's, it's, it's revitalized his career. He signed a five-year deal last year um, and looks like one of Richmond's most important players, you know, in, in the coming years. Yeah. So a great... A great uh, career turnaround for Daniel. Let's talk about uh, Morris Rioli. So he finished with two goals in the opening round and was sharp in front of goal, I thought, which was probably an area of his game that he will look to improve in the coming years, hitting hitting the scoreboard a little bit more. Um, he wasn't as good offensively last week against the Crows. I think he had just the five disposals, but had a couple of big moments defensively and with his pressure. Still only 20 years old and continues to improve, and I think um, that pressure and, and those tackling, and that's why he's in the team. Yeah, definitely. Daniel Rioli has... Um Morris Rioli, sorry, definitely. Um, he's going to need more games of football, um, but it is a sentiment to you know how he's developed to be in that 
Richmond side and his tackle pressure is elite and he's playing that role that Daniel used to play and sometimes that role isn't a high possession sort of mm. role and that's I think Daniel sort of was a bit over that role um, and needed to be rejuvenated but Morris is really lapping it up and um, you can see he's starting to gel a bit as well with Lynch and Rewalt and, yeah. and them guys are dictating to where, whom where to go and that sort of thing and there's a good, good little brotherhood there with Shea Bolton as well. He's still somewhat uh, raw in football mm. terms as well so yeah. he's not a kid that's gone through the traditional NAB league system and stuff like that. He didn't play a lot of football in the NTFL. He obviously had that great season for St Mary's in the Premier League, but a player who I expect a lot of improvement from still, um, yep. you know, as, as he sort of gets more experience at that level. Yep. Jesse Motlop started the season pretty well for Carlton, kicked a goal uh, in the win last week against Geelong. Looks to be, I wouldn't say entrenched in the 22, but it looks like he's a pretty important player for that team. Um, for Michael Voss, another long-term player that's continuing to develop. Yeah, definitely. And he does look like he loves his weight program. Oh, and mate. There's a lot of um, similarities to him and uh, his uncle Mark Motlop back in yeah. the 80s. And I've seen photos of Mark and he definitely looks similar. So it does look like a footballer, doesn't he? Just about be the most ripped player in the comp for his age. Like, oh, he's have shredded. to be. Definitely. And uh, yeah, it would be impressive to see what he can do in the future and um, maybe some midfield minutes as well later on in his career. Yep. Uh, Bombers players now. So we will talk about... Alwyn Davey Jr., obviously exciting stuff with his debut a fortnight ago. He was pretty good again last week, I thought. He's been picked again. I hope he stays in for some of the big games like Anzac Day and and the Dreamtime game. I think that'd be really good for him, getting that experience playing in front of 85,000, 90,000. But, um, hey, if you're in your first year in the AFL system and you can start for your team in round one and, and hold your spot after round one, you're doing something right, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. He's doing. He's ticking a lot of boxes and Brad Scott obviously knows a lot more than us, but um, just the, he's kept Guelphie. I think Guelphie finished third mm. or fourth in our best and first last year and he's kept him out um, and there's a few others that he's kept out as well, uh, Snelling and those sort yeah. of types. So there's definitely something there that um, Scott sees that you know others don't probably wouldn't see um, and he does add that youthful excitement um, so I do hope he stays in for a bit longer, um, gets that taste of Anzac Day because he is a player of the future for um, our footy club as a bomber supporter. Yep, going to be exciting times when his twin brother's up and running as well. And then yep. you've got the next player I want to talk about, a bloke who hasn't been seen at AFL level this year, but Anthony Mankara mm. made his debut in the VFL last week. And while he didn't get huge numbers stats-wise, he he showed why he's rated and why it's an exciting time for Bomber supporters. Um, he kicked a, a point which looked like a goal to me from the vision I saw. Mm. But uh, just those cat-like reflexes, he's, he's quite a good size. Um, I think that that's a very exciting prospect for the Bombers. Yeah, definitely. And you've got to factor in, guys, that you know he's coming from the Tiwi Islands and the football up here in the in the top end so different and it's umpire mm. different compared to Victorian football. And he's going to take a little while to adapt to that sort of um, football. But the moment he does and understands that physical aspect of the game in Victoria his outside run and carry is going to be something at the next level that you don't see very often in Victoria so yeah. that's where his strength's going to be coming in the next few years I'm super excited about Mankara because uh for those who play who only know AFL these names won't mean you know much but we know ourselves players like Bradley Stokes very very physical players mm. up in the Northern Territory Football League Mankara was going one on one with Stokes and, and some of the other blokes his brother Jared Stokes um, at bus training when he was training with the Premier League group and matching them physically and, mm. and definitely not afraid of the contest Mankara so for an 18 year old kid sometimes when he was training you'd forget that he was only 18 still a kid um, I think that physicality side of things which some people might be questioning um, mm. just because of other players that are, that are similar to, to Mankara yeah. I, I think that 
that's going to be something that surprises a lot of people. We saw he did that don't argue in that uh, Australia versus Collingwood game last year. Mm. I think it was Arlo Draper, who's a listed player at the Magpies, and he, he gave him a Dusty Martin fend-off. So yeah. I reckon that physical side of things is going to be no worries for Mankara. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tiwi talent at the Bombers, Anthony McDonald, Tipping Woody is back. It was obviously great to see him kick that goal. Uh, definitely still a, a crowd favourite. Where do you see his role this year? I don't think he's going to play every game, and we know that he's already missed the one game. Do you think that he will be a regular player in the seniors, or do you think that he'll go back and play in that VFL and help develop your Tex Wanganines? And, and if Jaden Davey gets an opportunity, of course, Alwyn will probably play some VFL this year, and Anthony Mancaro. Do you think that he's going to be like a leader of that crew in the VFL, mm. or do you think that he'll be used more in the AFL? I, th- I think he's going to be more of a leader in the VFL, to be honest. Um, I was you know, somewhat probably surprised and he did play round one considering who got left out, but it wasn't the worst decision. He came on and made an mm. impact. Um, he's definitely you know, probably going to lose five kilos and he'd know that, Neston, know that. But for what he brings to the group, his leadership, as well as having all those young Indigenous players, it's good to have him there. He's come from a pretty bad, like pretty hard background, um, missing out on so many drafts, not mm. rated. Bombers gave him a chance in their VFL when no one else really was and um, he impressed. And then, you know, he's taken that next step in his career and, you know, for a player to come from where he's come to play at that level and that professionalism is quite an achievement um, for those young players to aspire mm. to. I still think it's a bit of a joke that it took him so long to get an opportunity at AFL level. He was a gun in the under-18s. I know mm. um, he was in my year at, at NT Thunder and he was the one player you'd look at and was like, seriously, how is this guy not a second or third rounder? And it, It's very similar as well to Austin Winamere. When Austin Winamere yeah. played nationals, he was averaging 35 touches in a back pocket and never got picked Dominating up. Dominating for Saints Dominating, at League, yeah. had to go to, you know, Norwood and mm. there are there is some there's genuine bias I and mean, it was proven with what's come out there was bias towards NT players and yeah. that sort of thing with homesickness and that so you, oh, no doubt there's recruitment issues there Hey, a couple of the Brisbane players, Nakaya Cockatoo and Blake Coleman, just doing their thing in the VFL. Hopefully we see them at AFL level. Kadeen Coleman uh, probably hasn't had the greatest start for the season, given that he was tipped by blokes like Kane Corns to potentially be an All-Australian prospect, but still a player that's uh, very valuable for the Lions. Zach Bailey's an interesting one. So he mm-hmm. had 16 disposals and two goals last week, but definitely had a game to forget last night against the Western Bulldogs. I hate being negative on a, on a territory player, especially one that so kindly gave up his time to be on our show a couple of months ago, but um, made a few uncharacteristic clangers last night, and I think mm. he looks like a guy that, I don't know if he needs to spend more time in the midfield. He, he apparently had a big preseason. He told us that, and he said that his, his aim was to play in the midfield. Um, I don't know. what Are they using Zach Bailey right? Yeah, I, th- I think this might be a bit of an, a consequence of bringing in Dunkley to your footy mm. club. Um, you know, you're moving him, and then you got Ashcroft as well. That's sort of going to the wing midfield as well. But no, he's not. Ashcroft even isn't getting a whole lot of midfield numbers, and I sort of think that's what probably I've seen Zach Bailey went in there a couple of times, but. Um, yeah, it was very lacking, and it's sort of similar as well for um, if you're going to go through players that are similar in that aspect as him, you know, that sort of has effect, affected Hugh McLuggage as well, his oh, other yeah. teammate, yeah. Um, who's was one that was going to come up as well. But, yeah, Zach Bailey seems to be struggling in that. But he is genuine for that half-forward role, get a couple of goals, get his 20 touches or 15 touches, and definitely needs to find that sort of, yeah, the, mm. the groove again, doesn't he? Jack Paris named as an emergency for St Kilda last weekend. He must be edging closer to an AFL debut. I watched him in the VFL last year a few times, and he is. We talk about like point of difference players, players mm. that have a weapon, and 
Oh, my goodness. His athleticism, his speed, the way he can run and carry, that is a real weapon. We're talking about like a, a junior athletics champion. Mm. Uh, obviously, some very solid pedigree with his, with his family background. Um, but he, he's one that really excites me. We said that Morris Rioli was a raw player. Well, Jack Paris is very raw as well. He hasn't played a lot of football in his life. Um, I, I think it could be a bit of a surprise package for St. Kilda, whether or not he debuts this year, which, which he's looking like it's on the cards if he's an emergency at this time. Um, mm. But I reckon he might be one that, that Ross Lyon really likes and takes under his wing a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, AFL football is so athletic now and with that run and carry. And I'm, I'm surprised with Jack Paris's development as well. I thought, I didn't think he'd probably go as far as, as, as he has now has surprised me. Mm. Um, to the point I even brought him in my fantasy side last week. I needed a player that wasn't playing that's close, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I could take uh, Rory Laird's score and, um, as a vice captain. And then, uh, yeah, he's, he's not named as an emergency this week, but I think no. the week before he had like 22 or and three goals or mm. something. And that pace is something that, you know, is, is an outlier, isn't it? Yep, two more, and then we will probably need to go to a break, and then we'll talk about the Gold Coast players before we finish the show. But uh, Junior Rioli was brilliant in his first game for Port Adelaide a fortnight ago. 16 disposals, three goals, four tackles. He certainly wasn't as good last weekend in the loss to Collingwood. No. Uh, all the attention for power over the trade period will go towards Jason Horn francis and I feel a bit sorry for Horn francis He's going to be a guy that gets booed against multiple teams. You know, we saw last week in, in Melbourne against Collingwood, a team he's got no association with. <laughs> yeah. And, and geez, the pies enough he's rapping about doing <laughs> old JHF. But uh, back to Rioli for a second. I think he will prove to be an excellent pickup for the season uh, for the Power, especially if the Power solidify themselves as a finals team. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's a sort of the small forward role, isn't it? You, you can be hot, you can be cold. Mm. And Horn Francis is going to be one of those malign players coming through his whole career. And um, I still thought, you know, there was patches. I think they highlighted his you know, some of his weaknesses as well. But um, I think Junior Rioli is going to be really good for Port Adelaide um, as well as you know he was a barometer from last week but you just can't expect that every week from him no no doubt we are going to go to a break there is an NTFL uh, former NTFL player that could be we talk about Daniel Rioli at the career crossroads this is another player that I want to bring up um, and talk about so we'll talk about him after the break I'll keep you in suspense there and then we'll go through the Gold Coast players and plenty more really to come talking about the AFL stuff here on SEN Fridays in the top end thanks to Raymond Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie, it is time for NT Thoroughbred Racing's Andrew O'Toole. It's simply the best racing entertainment in the Territory. Andrew, do we have you? You certainly do. Good morning, boys. Good morning, mate. Hey, how did last week's races go and what's on for this week? Yeah, it was a good little meeting. Uh, only the four races, as we mentioned last week, uh, held last Friday. Today, uh, we go around again with uh, five races on today's card. So, uh, mid-afternoon start at uh, 3.08. And uh, as you guys are well aware, beautiful weather in the top end at the present time, uh, although a little bit warm. Really good uh, afternoon of racing. 34 horses to go around, just the one scratching on the car. That's in race three, number seven, Solid Rock, comes out. Can see two or three winners today, which is unusual for me, guys. I thought um, in race one, in race one, number one, Global Wonder would take uh, all sorts of beating for the leading trainer Gary Clark and uh, top jock Jared Todd. Uh, drops back in grade from his most recent couple of runs, uh, and this is uh, a uh, a race that I think he's uh, very very hard to beat in. Race one, number one, Global Wonder. Uh, probably the best bet of the day, race two, number one, Archie James. You won't get rich uh, though. He's uh, he's pretty short, but. Um, he certainly looks hard to beat. Chris Nash, the trainer, Sonia Wiseman in the saddle. And uh, similarly in race three, number one, Doc O'Connor. 
Gary Clark again, Jared Todd, uh, uh, the pilot, and Doc O'Connor's only had the one start, and Darwin was an impressive winner and uh, certainly looks the hardest to beat there. So those are my uh, three best of the day, guys. Races one, two, and three, just back number one. No worries, Andrew. We've got uh, Robbie Hale in the studio ferociously scribbling down those tips, so <laughs> hopefully he can back a winner this week. Thanks very much for joining us, mate. You have a good weekend. Good on you guys. You too. All the best. That was Andrew O'Toole from NT Thoroughbred Racing. It's simply the best racing entertainment in the territory, Rob. Yep. Hey, uh, we were talking about some of the NTFL or former NTFL, former NT players playing in the AFL, and we're going to introduce a segment next week, the NTFL Alma Mater, where we will rate these players um, and put them in a, in a bit of a ranking on who's performing the best. And not only that, we will also check into not some of the, not like lower profile might not be the right word, but some of the guys playing in the VFL. I think it's always interesting to track their development. Um, but a guy who I teased before the break saying that he potentially is at the crossroads of his career is a premiership player as recently as last year, mm -hmm. and that is Brandon Parfitt. So he's yep. in the VFL. He was omitted by Geelong after starting the first game as the sub, currently not even on the extended bench. So I don't know if he's out of favour or whether he had an injury in the VFL last week, but it doesn't look overly close to selection. Had 23 disposals and eight clearances last weekend against Carlton in the VFL. I thought in round one in the AFL because he did start as a sub, but he did get a pretty solid game time due to Tom Stewart's injury. I thought he looked a bit down on confidence and, and I was thinking perhaps a change of scenery could do him wonders. What's your take on Brandon Parfitt? Yeah, I, I thought with uh, Selwood retiring that he'd probably slot straight in, but then you had Max Holmes that they probably would have wanted to put more midfield minutes into as Tana well. Bruin, Jack Bowes is running Bowes. around there. Yeah, so I, I think he probably needs a chain of scenery now. Um, mm. I thought, I'm, I was surprised he never left probably earlier, but once he got the number three jumper, I thought, geez, they're going to put a lot of faith into him. But then, obviously, if you sort of stagnate a bit in your development and there's new players come in, we're seeing new draftees, top draftees come in and have that impact straight away. And I think that's what's happened to him a little bit, hasn't it? So the rumour I heard, and I have it on pretty good authority, mind hmm. you, that he was heavily courted by Greater Western Sydney. But yep. I don't believe he was keen on that move at the hmm. time. Um it's a really tricky one because had he have made that decision, he doesn't have a premiership medal around his neck. Mm -hmm. But right now, he's probably in a better a better spot if he was at the Giants and than he is at the Cats. Um, yep. Do you see any potential suitors for him? Any clubs that that he would he would really suit? Parfit? Oh, I think there could be a couple. Um, you could you could go to one of those lower end clubs, possibly. Um, I think Giants could be one. Um, Hawthorne could be one. Mm. Um, and establish himself there. Um, but it's just depending on how his contract stuff's going and what yeah. he wants to do. But he, he needs to kind of cash in while his value's still there at the moment, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. Can't wait too long. Can't wait till he's move. around that 28, 29 age. He's yeah. got to be around about now while he's still got plenty of good footy ahead. Yep. Hey, the Suns, uh, they are the Territory team at the moment, of course. They've got that link with the Northern Territory. Let's go through some of their players. So Joel Jeffrey's an interesting one, probably on the on the cusp of, of uh, like he's in that extended bench this week. So hopefully he survives the chop. I thought he showed a little bit last weekend against uh, Essendon. He's applying pretty good defensive pressure. I think he's had six tackles and five tackles. Um, and then Mally Roses, so we'll do those two together. Had a couple of opportunities last weekend in front of goal, uh, but couldn't make the most of them. So he did look lively and he's kept his spot. No Isaac Rankin this year, so he should get more opportunity to show what he can do. Yeah, definitely. Um I have been a bit disappointed in general with the Suns this season. Mm. I thought, oh, 100%. I, I did tip them against Swans as a bogey tip last week, which yeah. looked stupid. And I didn't. I thought they definitely had their moments to beat the Bombers on the weekend, and Bombers were somewhat undermanned as well, and they were not unable to do it. Um, but I think those players, um, 
yeah, I hope they get more opportunities with that Rankin sort of being out. Mm. Um, and Benny Long as well, playing across halfback, has what had his moments. Game? Um, sort of hasn't been, like, dynamic. Like, I was... Uh, you know, we love Benny as well, another guy we've had on the show. Um, but I thought he could be one that propels himself into almost like an all-Australian-type standard. You know, mm. it was always going to be hard at the Suns if they didn't win enough games. But... Yeah, I'd like to see... Um, I think with Benny, though, one thing you always get with him is that physicality and that, mm-hmm. that determination to beat his man. So that would be invaluable for the young sons. Yeah, definitely. I think he does need to lift up a couple of levels, but I think a few players are... You know, I did tip Suns as a bit of a smoky, probably to finish around the 8th, 7th or 8th, and now that's looking not very likely at all, is it, in my opinion? Mm, obviously, a few blokes in the reserves playing pretty good footy. Jed Anderson, Lloyd Johnston, Sandy Brock are continuing to press their claim for senior selection, and I'm hoping we see those boys uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Hey, an interesting round of AFL footy this weekend. We were speaking off-air about some potential, like, smokies because it's boring going through the games, and, oh, I think Geelong will be at Gold Coast. So go yeah. through a game this week that you think might not go the way most people do. So I'm sort of thinking Sydney get Melbourne. I think with a couple of injuries, um, I think Sydney's pace troubles some of those sides. And no yeah, Gorn. No Gorn. Um, MCG as well. I think Sydney can really spread them and, and run Melbourne a ragged. Um, obviously, Stephen May coming in is a big in um, as well if he does mm. stay in. But I've sort of it's not a massive outsider one, but I, I'm tipping Swans at 210 to get the job done at the MCG. They love playing at the MCG, Swans. So mine would be, firstly, I think that when you have those rivalry games like Port Adelaide and Adelaide and, and West Coast and Fremantle, that either team could win that. And yep. obviously, if the underdogs win that, it will be a bit of a surprise. My roughy is Hawthorne to beat North yep. Melbourne. And I don't say that with any confidence. How could you tip Hawthorne with any confidence? But that double flight coming back from North's going from Perth to uh, then to Tassie via Melbourne could be a bit tricky. Hey, we've got about 20 seconds. That. Rob, what's on for the weekend? No, nah, nothing. Um, hang low, watch the Bombers win on Saturday night. Yep, no worries. <laughs> well, How about you? Uh, well, hopefully the Tigers get a win tonight against Collingwood, but gee, who knows? It could be uh, it could be a long night at the office if you're a um, if you're a Tigers man. Hey, yeah. thanks very much for joining us. Remember to follow us on all our socials. This has been SCN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing.